I'd like to turn to it. It's Second Peter three. Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter three, verses eight and nine. And let's pray as we open the word. Father, as we open your scripture, we ask that you would enlighten our eyes. Help us to understand and touch us, Lord, from heaven. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Starting with verse 8 of 2 Peter chapter 3. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. Amen. At this time, we're going to be blessed by Claudia Moots and her special music. Of our time today. Second Peter 3, and we're going to start with verse 1. And I'm going to read, start reading. It says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. And of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So Peter is reminding us, he says, remember the prophets and the apostles. So what would, why would we want to remember these things? And today I'm going to mainly focus on the prophets. But you don't have to go too far. You can stay in Second Peter, and if you go to the first chapter, in verse 19, there's a good explanation. Second Peter 1.19 says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. 
Why was it a more sure word of prophecy to Peter, do you think? Had he seen these things fulfilled? He'd seen Jesus come, his life, his death, his resurrection, and that was all prophesied, and he's seen it fulfilled. And in his mind, it's a more, even more sure word of what is to come. But think of it as a light shining in a dark place. Say someone was to take you in their car on a dark night, take you into the mountains, drop you off on a trail. And, and they, they say, okay, I want you to find your way home. You didn't know where you were, but here's the trail. It's pitch dark out, no moon that night. And they say, oh, and by the way, uh, don't stumble on the things in the path. And, um, oh, there is some cliffs, too. Watch out for those and hope you make it home. And uh, so the guy leaves. And, but you remember a friend of yours gave you a flashlight recently. And he said, hey, you know, keep this in your pocket. You might need it someday. And so you pull out your light and you shine it down the path. And whoa, I can see the rocks in the way. I can see the cliffs. I can see where I'm going. That's kind of the way prophecy is. Shows us where we're going. Another familiar text I know you're familiar with is Amos 3.7. And that says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. And that's how I kind of came up with my title. So what do, what do prophets do? They prophesy. It may be just a day in advance. It could be hundreds of years. But God says he revealeth those secrets to his prophets. And if prophecy is a light, then God gives us his secret light. But he doesn't hold it to himself. He reveals it to those that are willing to accept it and to look at it, not those that are willingly ignorant, so to speak. I know you're all familiar with um, Psalms 119, 105. If I read it, you'll, you'll know it. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. See, God's whole word, it's not just prophecy, but his whole word from past, we can see the light shining on it. We can understand by the examples of those who went before us. It's shining on our feet presently so we can see where we're at. And it shines into the future onto our path. And Peter also said in those verses we read, he said, in the last days, there will be scoffers. Have you ever encountered a scoffer? I have too. And uh, it, it was probably in the more mild form, but it was almost the exact words that I heard or that we read here in Second in Peter. And that is, they said, where is the promise of his coming? And they said it almost like that. They said, I've heard this all my life. When is that going to happen? You know, in Peter here, he says there's one major event 
that did not stay the same since the creation. And they were willingly ignorant to believe that. What was it? Remember he said the the water standing out of the water and in the water? It was the flood. There's evidence to those people. And everything did not stay the same since his creation. And that's, that's one of their lies. And, but they're, they're not willing to, uh, to acknowledge that, you know, the creation, that there was a flood. But, you know, there's something different um, if you just don't know something or you don't understand something than be willingly ignorant, isn't there? If you're willingly ignorant, you, you have the information to know, but you just don't want to hear it. So we can't call, say that everyone that doesn't know this is, is willingly ignorant. Peter says they didn't learn from the flood that judgment will come again. And these things are happening right now, aren't they? I mean, you have a good portion of our world that doesn't want to believe in the uh, creation story or the flood. Uh, they want to believe in some theories instead. You know, Jim, I'm, I'm glad you brought up um, what day this was. I knew what day it was because when you're preaching and you look at the date ahead and said October 22, you know <laughs> what day it is. But I mean, even in the past, it, it rang in my head. And really, that's what I've kind of wanted to touch on that this morning. Because it, it's been 178 years, October 22, 1844. I was going to ask the question, but you already did. So, but that's okay. So Christians of all faiths were waiting for Christ's return, weren't they? But... When we look back in history, what's, this, what's that date called? The Great Disappointment. And they, they expected Christ to return, but he didn't come. See, in the early 1800s, we had a great awakening. And it's estimated that as many as 100,000 to 500,000 believers were connected with the Advent movement, just in the United States alone. And that's from a population of 17 million. What's the population today in the United States? It's, it's like 330 million or so. It was a pretty small country back then, wasn't it? But there was two main prophecies that were f- fulfilled, and they were really close together. They were only about 46 years apart. The first one was what we call the 1260-year prophecy, the 1260. It ended in the year 1798. And that refers to the dark ages, what we call it today. And that's when God's light was not available, available to the people. And the other one happened 46 years later that we were just mentioned, October 22, 1844. That was when the prophecy of the 2300 day prophecy ended and you can see that it's uh, found in Daniel 8:14 it refers to that so what was mistaken it wasn't the date that was the problem it was the event that happened everyone expected Jesus to come 
They believed that the earth was going to be cleansed. But Jesus was actually in the sanctuary cleansing and forgiving sin. So to put it another way, it was the judgment starting or it was Christ's ministry of forgiving sins in the heavenly sanctuary. And you know what? We're in that same time period today, aren't we? What do we call it? It's the judgment hour. That's, that's one term. Now, to understand this better, you need to understand the Old Testament sanctuary service. Now, the sanctuary service opens our eyes to the entire Bible. It shows us, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think this, but the sanctuary shows us where we're at in time, doesn't it? By looking at the prophecies, looking at the sanctuary service, it can show us where we're at. And the symbols point us to Christ throughout his ministry. His ministry on this earth, starting here on this earth, and ending in heaven. Now, in the Bible times, the sanctuary was where God dwelt with men. But is there a temple today that God wants to dwell in? Yeah. Yep, in us. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? It's even interesting to me um, that what do we call this place right here on the side of our head? The temple. You know? And God wants to dwell in us, in our mind. What's this part in the front? What, What does that do? It's reasoning, right? That's where we reason. Okay, there we go. So all the articles in the sanctuary, they represent Christ. Um, And his example for us to follow him, too. So I just want to briefly go through this furniture just to give you a brief idea. You know, there was only one door into the the sanctuary, wasn't it? Wasn't there? What does John 14, 6 tell us? And I'll just, I'll just tell you. It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is that doorway, is he not? Amen. When you get through there, there's a lamb that's sacrificed. Who's that lamb? And when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming for baptism, what did he say? Behold the lamb of God that take us away the sin of the world. When you get into the holy place, there's a lamp that provides light in there. Did, what did Jesus say? I am the light of the world. There was bread in there, and Jesus is the bread of life. There was also um, a bowl of water, they called it the laver, and the priests would wash their hands. And Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. It's also a, a symbol of washing, of baptism. There's the altar of incense representing the prayers of the people going to, going to God. In Hebrews 7.25, talks about Jesus. 
He always lives to make intercession for us. He's interceding on our behalf. And the high priest himself, that represents Jesus, doesn't it? Hebrews 6, 19 and 20 says, Even Jesus, having become high priest forever. And then when you go into the most holy place where God dwells, you have the Shekinah glory. When Jesus was on this earth, there was one time that he shone, it says, like the sun in Matthew 17, 1 through 3. It says he was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he, he shone like the, like the sun, just like God. He was God. But the entire temple represents Jesus. Remember when he was on this earth and he was speaking to the Jews and he says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up? He was speaking of his own body. So all these things represent Christ. And we know through the symbols and the prophecies that Jesus today is in the last part of his ministry. That's where we are at today. It's called the most holy place. Most holy place. And he's interceding for us, it says in Hebrews 7.25. So, I'd just like to make a little plug right now, so I don't forget. But if you, um, since I'm just going over this very briefly, maybe you don't understand um, the sanctuary service very good. And how important it is to how we can understand the rest of the Bible. In fact... You know, Jeff and Wayne, they're going through this at the thrift store um, with salvation symbols and signs. It goes through the sanctuary, doesn't it? It uses all that language in Revelation and Daniel. But Wayne has some of these little um, colorful magazines at the thrift store. And if you do not understand the sanctuary service very well, I would say... Get one of these. And if he has brought in a few, they're out on the counter in the back. If you would like one, you can take one. If we run out, you can get more from Wayne later. But I just want to make that available. Because I'm not going to cover this very thoroughly. So if you have questions, uh, you can get one back there. So I believe we are living in a different time now. Because of what prophecy tells us. And what, where Christ is in the sanctuary service today. You know, in Luke uh, 24, uh, verse 44, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets, And in the Psalms concerning me. So Jesus is telling his disciples that all these things have to be fulfilled. And all these things were fulfilled in Jesus' life. His his coming, his first coming, his death, his resurrection. But now we're waiting, we're down in history, we're waiting for the second coming. And there's other things that have to be fulfilled. If you look in Daniel 8.14, that's the part where it talks about this 2300-day prophecy. 
I'll read it. And he said unto me, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. So we know through the Bible and the prophecies that that brought us down to 1844. And this is a time when Jesus is doing away with sins. He's forgiving sins. Now, if you go over a few chapters to Daniel 12, verse 4. Daniel is told by God, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. So he says, this, this prophecy that he's referring to is for the time of the end. Where do you think we are right now? We are in the time of the end. And we, we talk about 1798 as being a significant uh, point in time. We call that the time of the end. And there was a great awakening. Even in this verse, it says, knowledge shall be increased. We always, I always used to think about that as just knowledge. You know, we have the great industrial revolution. And that is true. But I think more specifically, it's talking about the prophecies. The knowledge of the prophecies would be increased. And lo and behold, if you look at uh, the early 1800s, there was what they call a great awakening. This is when people were becoming interested more in prophecy in the Bible. Um, But you know, another significant thing of, of why I think we're living in a Um, a different time now, is that after 1844, there is no more prophecy based on time. Meaning all things, all these prophecies have been fulfilled up to this point. So what are we waiting for next? Jesus to come. There There is some events, but like Jesus said, in his time, all these things must be fulfilled. Well, if you look at it, All the time-based prophecies are fulfilled. And that's why Peter, I believe, you know, is is telling us to pay attention to the prophets and the apostles so we know where we're at in time. We don't know exactly. There is other prophecies, but they're not based on time. And we don't know exactly when these things are going to take place. But we know when they happen where we're at, right? And when the next things will be. You know, we're in a time right now um, where you're all familiar with and you hear about the three angels' messages. This is um, three messages, and I'm just going to briefly go through them. Messages that are to be given to the world in the end of time, in our time right now. So in Revelation 14, 6 through 10, you find these three messages. They're for the world, and it's to prepare us and the world for what is coming. But I I find it interesting. You really have to take these in the order they're given. God knows what's best. Because what's in that first message? The everlasting gospel. And if you don't give the gospel, the good news first, the other They won't hear the other messages. It says, worship the God of creation. 
A God that is loving. He doesn't want us to be ignorant. But it also warns us about this. A present time it says uh, that um, the judgment is come. Not will or has but is come. So we believe you know that time started um, in 18. Probably in eight, the early 1800s 1844. Now, now the, the second message is a very simple one. Once you understand that God is love, that he's the creator, that he has good news for the world, for everyone. Then he says, I've got other people in Babylon. And he says, I want you to come out of this uh, false religion and come to the truth, the true God. And that's what we are to proclaim to this world. And the third angel, or the third message, basically describes, if you refuse the first two messages, what will happen to you? You know, you'll receive the mark, you've given your loyalty to this dictator, Satan. And so it's, it's very simple messages. Accept the good news, the everlasting gospel, come out of the false religion, and don't take this... Uh, Satan's mark. You know, and as I look at what Peter says about scoffers in the last days, if, if we understand the prophecies just a little bit, we, we wouldn't be a scoffer, would we? Be, because we know, um, you know, you could almost forgive the scoffers a little bit, because before this time of the time of the end and the prophecies fulfilled, but now um, is, a time, is not a time to be a scoffer. So you might ask yourself, why is it taking so long for Jesus to come? Well, for one, prophecy was not fulfilled. But God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, I don't think we're the only ones that know um, that prophecies have been fulfilled, are we? Uh, Satan knows this too, doesn't he? And I believe he's been stepping up his game. And... um, You know, if we just look at the Bible, we can see where we're at in time. But if we look in the world, we can see things have changed quite a bit, can't we? And uh, I just want to give you one example, because there's hundreds, and I don't want to take that time. But one example, and that is something that happened this summer. Have you ever heard of the Commonwealth Games in England? And... I don't know how many of you watched them or are aware, but it's like a Olympics. And it's for all of the nations that used to be part of the British Empire, and it's over 70 countries that come to England. And this year it was in Birmingham, Birmingham, England. And um, they have, it's a sporting event, an Olympics. And they have an opening ceremony. Were you aware of what happened at that opening ceremony? Well, they had a big, huge bowl that they built. It was over 30 feet tall. 
and it looked pretty menacing. It had red eyes and horns and everything, and I don't know how long it was. But that was sitting, standing in the middle of this opening ceremonies, and they had dancers dancing around this bowl, bowing down to it. And then, in front of this bowl, they had what we have de- seen depicted in pictures, a Tower of Babel. And the announcer even said, this is our Tower of Babel. And then he said, or Tower of Birmingham. So there was no, no question what it was representing in these symbols. And then if you looked, it was, I think it had three tiers. And, uh, and at the top of this Tower of Babel was a window. And in the window was the all-seeing eye. And I just think that it's, it's becoming more blatant, you know, paganism, idolatry, and it's becoming into the sporting events of the world. And thousands of people watched this and seen it. And I know there was uh, a lot of people that had put things on YouTube and whatnot, um, showing this, you know, Christians and stuff, showing what was happening there. So people are aware of it. But that's one thing that shows me, you know, from a worldly perspective, what Satan is doing. But the good news is God doesn't want us to be ignorant, does he? He doesn't want us to be scoffers that are willingly ignorant. If you would go back to 2 Peter and go to uh, chapter 3, verse 8, I'd just like to read this. 8 through 10. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. We've had our great disappointment, or this earth has, but this next one, I don't think we're going to be disappointed. Jesus is going to come the second time. Well, the second time. You know, I was wondering where that went. (laughs) There's three things that I thought of that prophecy um, gives us. And I'm sure there is more. But these three things came to my mind. Prophecy, Prophecy strengthens our faith in the Bible, doesn't it? Just like Peter said, a more sure word of prophecy. So when we... Understand prophecy. It shines a light on our path in the future. It shows us where we're going. Also, number two, I believe it keeps us from deception, from being deceived. If God has shown us what is going to happen, we shouldn't be deceived. It's a light on our path so we don't have to stumble. And number three, it's a witness to others that don't believe in the Bible. You can show them 
a simple prophecy or explain to them if they don't have confidence in the Bible, who can tell the future for hundreds and thousands of years? No one except the Bible. So those are three things, and I think, you know, we should, we should understand prophecy and be willing to share it. So there's something that kind of um, always um, perplexed me a little bit. You know, when we're, we're looking at God's warnings that he has for us, And he's long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish. He's given us prophecies. What is it about human nature that some people see the same evidence, but they come to different conclusions? And and it got me to thinking is, um, I've wondered about, like, the Jews in Nazi Germany. When they saw things around them getting worse... Why didn't they leave or take precautions, you know, to get their families out? And I was reading an article, if I have it here with me. I do. And it it explained this a little bit more. I'd like just to share this with you. So they, speaking of the Jews, they found themselves at the mercy of a popular dictatorship which offered them a choice between social segregation within a new racial state or expulsion from Germany. They discussed at length the alternatives of home and exile, whether to stay or leave. It's not an easy question. A minority left at once. Those in danger for political reasons, communists, socialists, and other anti-fascists. Zionists and individuals driven out of their professions. So it says in 1933, so this is very beginnings, said 38,000 Jews sought refuge in exile. By 1934, it had dropped to 23,000. By 1935, it had dropped to 20,000. Almost getting comfortable getting used to something. But the majority decided to stay. Only a minority left. They believed that the Nazi regime might not remain in power for very long. And it was an illusion also shared by many non-Jews at the time. The belief that a rapid return to democracy would restore the German-Jewish coexistence deterred many from leaving Germany and rebuilding their lives in other countries. But it ultimately took a direct threat to their lives to make most German Jews realize that their ties to Germany were no longer a safety blanket. And this occurred in November 1938 with the program of Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass. After this event, discussion over whether to leave or stay turned to the urgent panicked cry get out at all costs. By the autumn of 1941, almost 300,000 German Jews had escaped Nazi terror, two-thirds of the Jewish population of 1933. There were still 164,000 Jews trapped in Germany, most of whom still intended to leave 
and we're desperately waiting for the arrival of life-saving landing permits and visas, but thousands of applications lay unprocessed on the desks in London. You can see how we think sometimes. There was a minority that left in the beginning. They could see the signs or the writing on the wall, so to speak. You know, this earth isn't our home. Someone I, I knew used to say this quite often, and he'd say, no one is getting out of here alive. <laughs> and there's truth to that if you don't believe in God. But if you believe in God, you know there's hope. And God has good news. And it's an escape plan if we trust in him. And it's called the plan of salvation. And we are living in a time to see it play out, aren't we? You know, Psalms 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That light that he wants to shine on us through his word, we can see from the past, it's a lamp on our feet and a lamp into the future. If you would just go now to Second Peter, we're going to read this last, last part that Peter is telling us. Second Peter 3, verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, where... Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless and account that the longsuffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. And I would just like to turn real quick and see what brother Paul says in Romans 2, verse 4. Because Peter refers to him in Romans 2, 4, Paul says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance? And long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth to repentance. Verse 16. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, Unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But this, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen.
And let's, uh, let's sing our closing song.